Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. Welcome to the Women in Tech Weekly Remix episode. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. To connect and collaborate with extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. I'm Jackie Reynolds with Nanopay. I'm head of regulatory compliance. We are looking to trailblaze uh, the way digital payments are made in Canada and across the world. We are currently based in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. You know, my background is a Bachelor of Commerce in Finance. I always knew I wanted to be in banking and in the financial industry. And um, it was more of an opportunity came out when I was being recruited for a position at a company. And uh, I was attracted to kind of what that company was doing. It was a small financial institution in Canada. Um, There was only maybe about 50 people in the office. They had a U.S. uh, component. So it was very kind of startup and um, exciting. And I basically was like, I want to work there. So I was like, I'll take any job that you're going to give me. And the job they provided to me was uh, in compliance. So I was actually the first compliance person that was starting within that company when I joined back in 2004. And they had the majority of their compliance based in the U.S. and they eventually moved it all forward. So I learned the role of compliance in-house. I learned it from the lawyer there and just through my experience. And I did that for four years and kind of had a personal what am I doing moment is compliance really the career path that I want to take? And I tried some other roles within the company to experience other positions and things, and I realized I kept going back to it. And the reason why I found compliance so interesting is that it's not always black and white. There's always a gray area, and there's always opportunity to problem solve and find different solutions that you can to, to a problem. I never want to be in a position where I'm just saying no. I want to work with the business to uncover and find different areas that we can work around to find an alternative solution. And uh, it was exciting for me because it wasn't really just this kind of black and white. You kind of put in your nine to five job doing the same thing over and over. Mm-hmm. It was constant change. The other thing is the regulations are constantly changing and the environment's constantly changing. And it was kind of refreshing to see also, too, that um, we are moving in a more digital direction. You know, mm-hmm. we are moving in a more tech friendly direction, but it, you know, it takes time. I remember when I was out of that institution, FinTrack, who regulates 
our AML here, they were looking to enhance their AML regulations. And one of the things was is they were looking to do discount non-face-to-face verification. And so they wanted to move everything to kind of a brick and mortar that you had to validate somebody's identity face-to-face. And so what happened is a lot of model line issuers in Canada actually had to create a sub-lobbying group to lobby for a non-face-to-face because they would have basically shut them down because they didn't have that ability. And fast forward now to over 10 years, and Fintrack just came out and released the fact that you can validate somebody's ID based off of somebody taking a selfie and comparing it with a driver's license. So crazy. And it's crazy. But it had to be pushed and discussed. And so uh, Lawrence Cook actually is the chairman and organizer of Paytex, um, which is also another group that's in Canada that's looking to kind of push how payments are considered in Mm -hmm. Canada. And that's one of the main things you kind of have to do is that you need to kind of push the pendulum, but you need to get a group and a collective voice out to do that. So I found just through my journey through that initial company supporting, and I also supported another kind of startup and then moved into the corporate, I guess the, what you call is the um, big five institution experience. That was a great experience to get an understanding for how a large corporation works and how a global corporation works. But it also reaffirmed that I preferred to be in a smaller kind of tech atmosphere. I'm Anna Dolechai with Nanopay. Nanopay is a fintech company startup who's going to take over the world in digital transactions. I'm a software engineer here. We're based in Toronto, Canada. In the development world, I believe it was white hat and Mm -hmm. uh, black hat hackers. And basically, you have a concept within any corporation where you want someone to be able to try to break the code. And that's almost like a form of uh, quality assurance. Mm -hmm. Because if they're able to break it, then you know where your vulnerabilities are. So it's actually a good thing. But then you have malicious people and malicious ideas. And those are kind of the hackers that society knows as a totally. hacker. But there's different terminologies. There's different concepts behind all of them. And I think people are good and bad. Totally. It's kind of like saying, that's sick is a good thing. And you're sick is like you have an illness. <laughs> like, Absolutely. There's always different connotations for everything. So, okay, how did you go from watching the movie Hackers to becoming a hacker yourself? <laughs> so the story even gets even more interesting because after customer service and doing some random positions, I ended up finding that I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to have that degree because it almost seemed like it was a status within society to have an education. Right. I had no idea what I wanted to do at this point, but my father was an accountant and he comes up with the idea. He's like, hey, if you you study accounting, you can take over my business. And I'm like, sure, let's do that. So I went to York University and studied accounting by the third year. No, sorry, is York in Canada? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Where did you grow up? Here in Toronto? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, different cities, but pretty much like all within the GTA. So York University was uh, Markham, Thornhill area. So so your dad is like, you could be an accountant. and, And you're like, sweet. Yeah, is that yeah, career? Yeah. No, no, that's career number two. Yes, yes. Yeah. Because career number one is customer service. Yes. Like out of high school. Yeah. And so accounting is career number two. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, see, it's kind of like two, three. Okay. okay. Well, anyway. Yes. Two so B, by, two A. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So by year three, I'm going crazy. I'm, I'm, I hate it. I hate it. I the hate accounting. It. I hate accounting. Yeah. I can't stand it. I've, Which is interesting because engineering is math and accounting is math. Yeah. So it wasn't the math that bothered me. It was the concept of business by itself that was kind of 
like the bottom line of any business is to be profitable. Right. And then so we have these courses called uh, CSR, which was the Corporate Social Responsibility. We've got um, courses in marketing. And all of these things almost seem morally questionable. Right. Like, for example, one of our marketing cases was about a pharmaceutical company who created a drug which was useless but they had spent millions of dollars investing in this research and they ended up needing to sell it. So they end up convincing farmers all over the world that they needed this medication in their cows. Oh and it was just like this. I, I My don't. Pisces heart can't handle things like this. <laughs> well, exactly. And imagine going to school and trying to, you know, accounting was supposed to be the language of business. Yeah. And so it's not the numbers. It was kind of like a, a concept of business within our society. And I, I was going crazy. Like it, just didn't sit well with me. Right. Hi, this is Margarita. I'm CEO at Tito Notes. So we're building a global marketplace for technology companies. We are based in Kiev, Ukraine. There are so many obstacles for the startup that you can't really pinpoint just one obstacle. I think the main challenge for me, and I think it still is, is that I'm quite a perfectionist at heart. And when you are building something new, you're building disruptive tech. There is never a perfect solution. There is never a perfect launch. So for me, it was very difficult to overcome this whole like perfectionist inside and say that you just need to launch it, see what's the feedback, and also react to constructive criticism okay. Uh, for me, it was difficult at first. But now I've just, um, I'm trying to take it uh, that, you know, feedback is super important and uh, there is never a perfect product you just need to collect feedback and make it better and better and um, there is never just a perfect solution and who would you say has been your mentor figures throughout your journey I don't have one specific person who is just my mentor. I think the whole team of legal nodes, each of them is my mentor at a certain extent because we all have such different qualities and such different skill sets and uh, knowledge that every time I speak with them, every time I interact with them, I learn something new. And at the very beginning, when it was just me and my partner, Nestor, I think I learned a lot from him. And uh, he was my mentor at the very start, I would say, because although we are sort of quite the same age, uh, he... He has different skills that I have in terms, for example, he's a lot more calm. He's okay with taking critics. He's very forward-looking, open-minded. And I think he taught me a lot just by his example. So by leading uh, by example. And have you been on a podcast before? No, this is my first time. I love it. So many of our guests, this is their first time on the show. And it's really exciting for me that this is a launching platform for them. And that's so cool. I hope it's the first of many to come. And tell us a little bit about Kiev and building your startup in the Ukraine. What kind of advantages would you say that you have by being there? I think the main advantage is your exposure to amazing tech talent. Honestly, before I came to Kiev after UK, um, I never thought how talented people are like in Ukraine and especially in terms of tech and engineering. There are so crazy minds here. They do things that I never thought people can do. And I'm just so happy that I get such an exposure to them and that I have such people in my team and that they're so eager to work. They're super hard working. They are ready to give more than you can give them even sometimes. So I think it's amazing. It's human capital and tech talent that it's amazing in Kiev and in Ukraine in general. I feel like you have a really cool access to resource being that you're very well connected in the UK as well as, you know, in the Ukraine. And so 
Would you say that you utilize both ecosystems in order to help develop your startup? Yes, definitely. And I think it would be wrong not to utilize uh, both of those worlds, so to say, uh, because I lived in the UK and so I have some connections there, and including in the legal space. And so, yes, this is something I can utilize now that we are building our startup and our first market is the UK and we launched to launch our product onto the UK market because of the rules that they are now implementing in the legal space, in the legal market, and because of the trends that they are currently following, such as transparency in the legal market. And this is exactly what we are doing. We're helping to introduce this transparency in the legal market where usually it was always like hourly fees and you never knew what you're going to pay for at the end and how much it actually costs and whether you're overpaying and who would be the best lawyer. So there are so many questions and it's just a not transparent market. So essentially in the UK, they are helping to develop this now and they are all embarking on this trend. And so having a, like a lot of connections in the UK, I can utilize them. I can meet with the people. They can introduce me. So this is really good. And actually next week I'm going to London and I'm going to meet partners of top law firms. And some, this is something I never thought I would do at this stage. And I don't think I would be doing this if I was working just um, at a law firm or, you know, so going on this traditional path of qualifying as a lawyer in a, in a law firm. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.